This episode of the Filmmaker Mixer podcast is sponsored by Reed's Cleaners in Austin, Texas. We launder everything but money. This episode is also sponsored by Piers Henry Headshots, shining the spotlight on you. Welcome to the Filmmaker Mixer podcast. My name is Andrew, and I'm joined alongside my co-host, Jeff, as always. Today, we have on filmmaker David Shen Miller. David has an amazing new short animated film that is doing really, really well on the festival circuit. Uh, so today, we talk all animation. Hello, everybody. This is the Filmmaker Mixer podcast, and today we are chatting with David Shen Miller. David is a writer, a director, a producer. His animated short, The Cocoon, just screened and won Best Animated Short at the Arizona Film Festival. The film premiered at the Dallas International Film Festival and has continued its run at New York Cinefest. And we're really excited to have David on the show because Andrew and I have not yet had a chance to talk about animation. And I, I love animation. I actually did stop motion animation when I was a kid. I just love the process and the craft. So, uh, so David, welcome to the show. Thank you for having me. Good to be here. So one of the things we always like to talk about with our guests is how they got inspired to get into filmmaking and storytelling. So when and how did that start for you? I'm actually one of those lucky guys who has an exact moment that I remember where I decided I wanted to get into storytelling. Uh, so I could tell you that story. Sure. I was a sophomore in high school and I was sitting in detention because I was a class clown, very rebellious, and I was in detention all the time. <laughs> so I'm in detention, and uh, I had been assigned by my sophomore English teacher, Mr. O'Brien, to read the play Fences by August Wilson. And I crack open the play, and I start reading it. And I was so gripped by the writing, uh, the style, the cadence, uh, August Wilson's ability to render these perspectives that were very different, but uh, he rendered them in such a real way. It's weird because on the surface, that story has like nothing to do with me. It's about the, you know this lower middle class black family in 1950s Pittsburgh. I'm a Chinese Jew in born in the 1990s. Like, what does this have to do with me? But the the dynamics between the characters and how rich their perspectives were expressed by August Wilson, just the cadence and style, I was just sucked in. And so I'm in detention reading this play and they would call kids one by one to be dismissed and they got to me and I'm still reading. So I'm like, no, I'm good. And they're like, you want to stay in detention? I was like, yeah, I need to finish this. So they skipped over me and I was one of like the last kids to be detention that day. And uh, I, I got to the end and, you know, Troy Maxim dies, spoiler, but should have read the play by now if you have it. I get to the end and it's just, there's this beautiful moment where Gabriel, this character, plays this horn and it's just felt so right that uh, my nerve endings started tingling. Like I had this sort of shiver that went up my spine, like the hairs on the back of my neck stood up. I had a, like a what do you call uh, pyloerectile response. Uh, that's when your hairs stand up in the back of your neck. Great word, by the way. Uh, and it was in retrospect, my first experience of artistically induced awe. Some people get that feeling when they look at like a really nice sunset or they climb a mountain or whatever it is. I got it from reading this play in detention. And I knew in that moment, I was like, oh, I need more of this feeling, one. And then two, I need to figure out how do I give that to somebody else? And that was the beginning of, I want to be a storyteller. 
And so did you um, just jump in and start making films? Did you go to film school? What was your, what was your, um, your um, path? I, uh, I started writing and I, I was, I became the editor in chief of the high school literary magazine, uh, Dynamo, Bronx Science High School Literary Magazine, shout out to Dynamo. Uh, so I, would, I started off kind of like writing poems and short stories and, and prose, things like that. I didn't feel like I read enough novels though to really call myself a prose writer, even though I like writing prose. I watched a lot of movies and I love movies. And so I was like, well, maybe I can write screenplays. And I kind of got into filmmaking through that. And then I founded the film production club at my high school. And we just started making little, little dumb, fun movie skits. And, uh, and then when I went to university, I studied English literature. And then I did get into grad school at USC, their MFA writing program. And I went for one semester and I dropped out, which I think makes me more legitimate. <laughs> I think USC film school dropout is way better than USC film school grad. I don't know. You tell me. <laughs> uh, so yeah, that's that's really how I got into it. And, and just throughout college, I made like dumb little no budget student films on like an iPhone and stuff. Yeah, I mean, so like Jeff said at the top of the show, you have an award winning animated film called The Cocoon, and I'm curious what the reasoning was, as you say, you're a filmmaker for choosing the animated medium versus maybe just the traditional live action sort of film. It wasn't a straight line to getting that decision. I had flirted with the idea of doing it live action. Uh, it seemed to me like the nature of the story called for it to be an animation, but that's something I can say in retrospect, having done it that way. Um, my friend and producer, Andrew Cohen, who started a company called Confidential Creative, and they've done incredible music videos for Maroon 5 and Gorillaz, he was just getting started and he had read the script and he was like, you should do this as an animation and I would love to produce it. So that's kind of what got the gears going. Um, but I had flirted with the idea of doing it as a live action. And in fact, halfway through production, we had a bit of a standstill where our lead animator kind of went rogue for a bit. He had some personal issues. I didn't hear from him. And I was like, well, maybe maybe we'll just do this as a live action. Let's test it out. And so I have footage on my computer of some of these shots executed in live action with an actor that we hired. And, and we were trying to figure out how do we get this character to walk on walls and on the ceiling in the film. He, he does all of that sort of Spider-Man-like stuff. And uh, at the end of that, I'd gotten back in touch with the lead animator finally, and it was like, thank God, because I now know, having done some live action tests of certain shots, this needs to be animated. So once you started uh, or chose to go down the animation route, you know, there's so many uh, animation ways to do animations these days. Originally, it was drawing by hand, and now we have computers as a tool. So I'm curious, what was the style of animation that your team chose exactly, and what tools did you use to create this film? Yeah, we uh, we thought about it quite a bit, and we wound up doing a sort of hybrid 2D, 3D computer hand-drawn animation style. Uh, it's all all the drawings are done in a tablet in Macromedia Flash, which is an older program, but seemed to suit our purposes. Uh, but each one of the frames is hand-drawn, and so there is this this frame by frame hand-drawn element. And we also 
wanted it to have a very hand-drawn sketched feel. So we took a lot of pains to actually make it look like it was rough and it was sketched. Uh, so we went with that. We didn't really want a Pixar-y, nice, really well-manicured, perfect 3D look. We wanted it to have something that felt sort of incomplete and sort of sketched. And we wanted to feel the hand of the artist in every frame. And and speaking of different animation styles, um, you know, there have been so many pioneers in animation, Chuck Jones and Saul Bass and Ralph Bakshi and Satoshi Kon. I'm curious, is there any animator that inspired you when you were trying to come up with the uh, the ideas for the look of the film? I'm not going to be able to name them. A lot of the, there was, a lot of it came from browsing YouTube, just incessantly looking for references over and over and over again. Um, and there was one, I can't remember the name of the animator. He's brilliant. And he even did a little tutorial on here's how you do hand-drawn animation. Here's how you achieve a boiling line effect, which if you don't know is when the the outline of the character sort of, it looks like it almost vibrates. And that happens because the lines from one frame to the next don't 100% perfectly match up. And it's something that would happen in very traditional hand-drawn animation just as a consequence of the process. Um, and so, yeah, I, I don't remember the name, uh, unfortunately, but he was a huge inspiration for the style. Uh, and then again, you know, a lot of it was just looking at stuff on YouTube and just being like, oh, well, that looks kind of cool. What if we blended that with this and so on? Sure, sure. Uh, and and one of the things I liked is you mentioned this earlier, how you played with perspective with the walls and the ceiling and, and, and the character moving around the frame. I'm curious, was that uh, an idea you came up with in the script or was that an idea that developed as you started doing the animation? Uh, like the at the very end, the sort of the depth of one. Uh, well, you know, the, the way you did these cool things, and I, I, I'm i assuming the film isn't available for the public yet, so I don't want to give too much away, but, um, mm. you know, where the, the character would suddenly find his way or suddenly discover that he could move, you know, from the floor to the ceiling and the, or the ceiling or the floor to the wall, the wall to the ceiling. And then you'd flip the camera as he went. And it was just really cool the way you played with the perspective. And um, I'm, I'm just, I'm curious of the process of, Hey, this is on the page. This is what I want to do. Why don't you animate it? Or as you're working with the animator, he says, Hey, maybe, you know, what if we did this? What if we did that? I'm, I'm trying to see what the balance was between those two. Gotcha. Gotcha. Uh, yeah, it's, it's both. I mean, I think in the script, it's much more vague. It's much more just, he walks on the wall. The actual, how do we show that was stuff that came about through the collaboration with the animator and with the storyboard artists. And when we were putting the animatic together, um, definitely that was a, it was a challenging thing to sort of pull off because it's, it's one thing to just write, he walks on the wall, but then to sort of create this sense of the whole room turning uh was it was more of a challenge to express that visually and i have to just give props to our lead animator andres couturier and and then co-storyboard director ernesto matamoros and our uh our storyboard artist Catherine cross and we, we just kind of put our heads together and tried out a couple different things and figured it out you talk about the cocoon being an allegory what led you to this idea and this particular story? Yeah, I mean, it's an allegory from my point of view. It's an allegory for itself. Uh, it's it's very much an allegory for its own creation. 
because uh, the the struggle of this character who's trying to achieve something, he's trying to you know clean up the parts of himself that he's not happy with and and get his room to look perfect. To me, the thing that I was trying to achieve and I was trying to clean up and get right was the film itself. Um, it came about really during a day where I decided I was going to make a movie. I was going to write something and I couldn't figure anything out. And I went to bed sort of feeling frustrated and like, ah, uh, like I, I, it was just one of those off days where you sit in front of a blank page and you just don't get anything. You know what I mean? And, uh, and then the idea just sort of came to me, this feeling of like Sisyphus where I'm like going in circles and I'm not getting anything done. And I started the day with a blank page and I ended the day with the blank page. A lot of those feelings were just kind of in me. And then the idea for the story just came from that, I think. And then as I was making the thing, it, you know, the feeling that the character has, the journey that the character goes on, I was going through that consistently for every shot that I was doing. Uh, there's this sense of, oh, I'm trying to clean it up. I'm trying to perfect. Oh, this isn't working right. Oh, wait, now I got it. Oh, no, no, I don't. And then, oh, wait, actually, there, here's this other way out of it. And so that's the journey that the character goes on. That's the journey that I went on every single day working on this thing. And that's the journey I think everyone who was a part of the project kind of went on. And so it is an allegory for whatever things in your life you feel aren't good enough uh, that you need to sort of learn to embrace in order to overcome. And the thing that I find funny is, to me, that thing was the film itself, if that makes any sense. So I got a little Interesting. Meta. Yeah, yeah, that makes that makes sense. Uh, I, I love that you mentioned Sisyphus because your film reminded me uh, of an animated film called Sisyphus that I saw when I was a kid. Um, I'm probably going to butcher this name, but I believe it was made by Jankovic Marcel. It won the Oscar in like '74. It's an amazing film. If you haven't looked, uh, if you haven't seen it, you should look it up. It's really cool. Your your animation style was, I mean, your film was very different in in uh, content and concept, but some of the animation styles were similar. Um, I'm also a big fan of uh, the short film Why Man Creates from 68, which is a Saul Bass film. Um, and so I'm kind of going down a rabbit hole because you mentioned YouTube and other movies um, <laughs> and other animation styles. Did you look at animation styles from decades ago and current? I mean, because, you, you know, there's so many cool experimental styles from the 40s and 50s and 60s. I'm just curious. Did you kind of look for a blend of all of that? I don't know. I don't know that. I, I want to say yes, but I don't feel like it was an intentional thing. Right. You know I, mean? I know the Sisyphus uh, short film you're talking about. That's kind of like this like really bold line. It's uh, cool. Yeah, it's really cool. Minimalist. It almost feels like uh, there's a Picasso painting where he, you know, he paints the bull and it's a very sort of abstract normal, and it kind of has that same style and you feel like the paintbrush or the line. Right. That's something that we really wanted, that feeling of the hand of the artist. But in terms of like, oh, I'm going to go back and look at, you know, really old stuff and trying to, you know, track the history of animation and blend certain things. It wasn't that consciously intentional. But I did think I do think it kind of happened unconsciously just by virtue of just looking at tons of references and trying to, you know, see things that we thought were cool. So rewinding back to when you were laying in bed trying to think of a story from that starting point to let's just say when you wrapped the film, when it was finally done. Uh, how long did it take and what was that process like exactly? Oh, man, when I uh, was lying in bed and the idea came to me, it came to me so fast. And I just I just picked up my phone and just quickly, you know, jotted it down. 
could just just type it up in the notes app. So from me lying in bed feeling like uh, I failed that day and I didn't get anything done to, oh my God, I have this idea and here's all the main story beats. That was probably like 20 minutes. Um, it was one of the few experiences I've had this like a couple times where the story seems to present itself to you all at once. And it was as if I'd already watched it. Like when you watch a movie, it unfolds moment by moment, beat by beat. And then when it's done, it's done, but you kind of have the, the story just like in you now. And in order to get that experience moment to moment, beat by beat, you got to rewatch it again. But when you're at the end, you know the story. And for this, normally when I write, it's like I'm, I'm sort of going beat by beat and I'll outline stuff and I have a sense of where it's going. In this case, the idea came to me in a way where it felt like I had already seen the thing. I'd already seen the movie. I knew the story. And so then I just needed to go back in my head and just like jot down what I'd already seen is what it felt like. Uh, so it was, it was a nice moment of genuine inspiration that came to me. And then as we went, we tweaked things. The producers kind of urged me to make the ending a little bit bigger and more exciting because it, it originally just ended at sort of what would be the equivalent in the final film of like the six minute mark. Oh, um, interesting. Yeah. And then the, this whole ending without spoiling it where, you know, magic really happens. That was, that was the producer saying, I think you need just one more final punch. And uh, it, it totally works. I mean, it totally works. Good. Yeah. Yeah. That, that was, that was that. And there's tons of little things in there where, you know, when I brought it to the producers, they're like, well, what if we did this? What if we did that? Um, but the bare nuts and bolts of the story and the things that happen in it, that was, that all just struck me as I was laying in bed. And it was, like I said, about 20 minutes between feeling like, oh, I got nothing. And, oh, here's the whole story. So what kind of projects are you interested uh, to work on next? Are you homing your own? Or are you looking to be part of others and collaborate? I saw you were uh, working on a new short uh, passing through. So I'm not sure if you can say anything about that or any other projects you're looking to do in the future. Oh, the short passing through. Uh, yeah, I just helped uh, produce that. And a very talented writer-director, Erica Silverman, she's based in Dallas-Fort Worth. Uh, she filmed that. That was last year. And that's done a bunch of film festival stuff. Um, so I'm always, you know, happy to collaborate and work with people on stuff. In terms of my own sort of writing and directing projects, I recently shot a short film here in Austin called Paint It Black. And I'm expecting a final cut this week. We're, we're just wrapping up the color and the music. Uh, so that's hopefully going to be hitting the festival circuit in the fall. I'm really excited about that. And then I got another short film shoot lined up next month. We're going to try and shoot it end of July. Uh, so I'm doing a lot of live action stuff, but I would, I'm kind of itching to do some animation again. And I guess the closest thing to that that I'm working on right now is I was hired as a art director for a comic book series. And doing that's just like storyboard direction. It's all these kind of still frames, and it doesn't feel that different from directing animation. It's it's been a lot of fun. So, do you um, do you do drawing yourself? I, I draw amazing stick figures. They're great. <laughs> I actually can draw really well, and I I have in my own house some drawings of mine hanging on the walls. And if you ever come by for a beer or something like that, you can check them out. But when it comes to the animation and stuff, just the sheer volume of drawings, I'm, 
I've, I've seen short films where it was all written, directed, and every frame was drawn by one person. And it just, it, it, it hurts my head thinking about how much work that was. So, uh, we had a team, we had a team of animators for the cocoon. Um, and, and when it comes time for me to sort of do the bare bones sketches for the storyboards, I'm, I'm just doing like little circles and sticks. Well, you know, you had also mentioned, um, about animation being an unrestrained medium. Um, so does that work in your favor at times or, you know, at times do you need some constraints to, to keep you focused? Uh, that's a great question. It's both. I think, you know, every creative endeavor is birthed out of its constraints to some extent. Um, and once we set on a style, we stick to that style. Uh, so yeah, well, although at the end there's some, there's some colors, there's a, there's an evolution to the style a little bit within the film, but it matches the narrative and it matches the characters are, uh, but to really answer your question, I think uh, the freedom can be, it's, well, freeing, it's liberating, it's, but it's also daunting because you, you, you can do anything. And so when you can do anything, it's like, how do you make a choice? And so you have to be very specific about why you're making certain choices or why certain things should be the way they are. And then once you figure out those rules, you kind of stick to it. If The Simpsons decided, you know, halfway through season three that, they're going to paint everyone blue instead of this orangey yellow. Like that would be a clear violation of their own stylistic choice and their own stylistic rules. So, uh, but what's great about the Simpsons is, is they can get away with drawing people in this orangey yellow and no one complains. Uh, if you were watching a live action film and the people were all orangey yellow, you'd be like, what the hell are they aliens? Was there a radioactive spill? Like you'd want some sort of explanation. So the freedom that you get by doing an animation and you just, there's not an expectation of verisimilitude. Um, but once you decide on your rules, you have to give yourself constraints. And then once you decide on those, you stick to them. I'm curious, have you faced any significant technical or even creative challenges while working on the cocoon? And if so, how did you overcome them? Oh yeah. I mean, I didn't know what the hell I was doing when I started this project and thank God <laughs> I don't, I don't think I would have done it if I known how arduous the animation process was. So the ability for me to get this project done was a hundred percent a function of naivety and, and ignorance. Um, I didn't really, one, one thing that was tough was when you do, I've done some live action stuff beforehand and, and when you do storyboards for live action, you're really doing the bare bone frames just okay we want this shot a two shot over the shoulder whatever it is you kind of just draw those little storyboards so that when you go on set you have a sense of where to point the camera and how to block the scene with animation when you're doing storyboards that's the not just the skeleton that's like the circulatory system and even part of the musculature of the whole thing so when we when we when i first did storyboards they weren't just completely bare bones, but it, it was it was fairly like, okay, here's the key frames. Here's the key shots we want. And then when we took it to the animators, they were like, whoa, 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 hold on. There's there's so many blanks here that we need to fill. And so they were animating it, and there was like all these continuity issues that in my head, I was like, well, common sense, you wouldn't, you know, have him, you know, you know, starting one scene standing up, and then the next shot he's sitting down, you would fill that in. But the animators were like, well, that's not in the storyboards, that's not in the animatic. Oh, so, so they were so so they hold pretty strict to your your guidelines. 
A hundred percent. And oh, so go back and do the animatic and the storyboards again. And I think our first pass of the storyboards, it was maybe, you know, 150 drawings. And then when we went back and we redid the storyboards, you know, fleshing it out, it ended up being like 500 drawings. Oh, wow. So you have to be way more dense with the storyboards in the animation as opposed to in live action. And I learned that the hard way. And and how long did the process take? Uh, it went from the moment you made the decision to go animation, um, you know, how long was that? Too long. <laughs> yeah, so uh, from finishing the script to when we started submitting to festivals, it was about three years. Wow. Yeah, and it's not like we were working on it eight hours a day, five days a week. It, you know, we, we all had other jobs that we were working on as well, and then you know, our lead animator had a an issue and, and we, ha we had to sort of pause things for a couple months, uh, but about three years. That's wild. And and I really liked the, the sound design and the music. Uh, tell us a little bit about that. How did you um, decide to, you know, how did you choose your composer? How did you decide to do the music the way you did it? And, and even the sound design with the, you know, the little noises and things like that. I thought it totally worked. I'm curious how you came up with all that. Oh, well, uh, how I chose the composer, Dan Light, uh, we went to college together, so pure nepotism. <laughs> no, he he knocked it out of the park. Uh, Dan, our our music composer, he's he's a friend of mine from college, and I remember just watching his senior thesis. He uh, you know put together this, this sort of live music concert that he'd done. I thought it was great, so I always wanted to work with him, and uh, and I talked to him about the music concepts, and when I give direction stuff i i often give these very sort of pretentious abstract generalized uh directions in order to distract from the fact that i don't know what i'm doing uh but i want to sound smart and uh so i told him i was like well you know this film's about embracing imperfection it's really about the struggle with perfectionism and this you know need to embrace the things about yourself that you don't like in order to create something beautiful and sort of transcend those seeming shortcomings how do we do that musically and so he thought about that and he came back to me he was like well what if we did a combination of synthetic and live acoustic instruments and i was like that's interesting he said, yeah because you have these synthetic digital sounds and they're sort of these sort of perfect robotic sounds and then we'll have these acoustic live instruments and there's kind of a naturalism and an imperfection that's kind of beautiful there and so he felt that that would really express this tension between perfectionism and perfectionism and imperfectionism that the film was really about. And uh, a lot of the drums are live recorded, and a lot of the sort of the more um, melodic sounds are actually done on a computer. And uh, yeah, he just knocked it out of the park. And then the whole the whole sort of arc of the music it it I think follows the arc of the character really well and. And we also, we wanted something that felt, especially in the beginning, kind of percussive. And so I was I was giving him a lot of uh, John Brioche, uh, Hands and Feet, which is a song that was used in Punch Drunk Love. And it kind of has this, this crazy sort of percussive sound to it. It feels almost sort of primal. And what I liked about that is that song in that movie plays over a scene uh, that's sort of banal. He's just in the office, and he, you know, things are getting moved around with pitch, with not pitchforks, with um, forklifts, and he's trying to have a conversation. And 
but there's this percussive sound which really expresses his inner anxiety even though the what's happening in the scene is kind of banal and, and just normal and i was like well this is a film in the beginning where he's just cleaning up his room he's just mopping it's kind of banal but i was like this needs to feel like life or death for this character it needs to feel like anxious and how do we do that and so the composer was like, well this should be kind of like a percussive you know kind of like you know heavy primal thing and then towards the end it gets much more melodic and classical almost disney animation like and 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 so there's that arc with the music um long-winded answer but uh to just cap it off with the sound design uh yeah noah grant did the sound design uh or sorry brant cornish noah hunt the sound design and they did a great job they did a little foley stuff and um and, you know, I didn't step too far peeling back behind the scenes of how they got those sounds. All I know is I sort of told them, you know, we want the mopping sounds to make us kind of, you know, shrill a little bit. And uh, a lot of the other stuff, they just kind of saw the film and without the sound, they got it and they just did their thing and they nailed it. So I didn't really have to tell them too much what to do. So, you know, this is a really great film. I I really, I'm a big fan. I liked it a lot. And um, we've been talking about all these elements of the movie and it's not really out there for people to see yet. So I know people are going to want to see this film. So when and where do you think it'll be available for the general public? Yeah, we really uh, tease people with uh, this conversation. It's <laughs> released publicly. We'll put it on YouTube and Vimeo after it's done with its festival circuit. We still got some more festivals that it's been accepted to and a few more that hopefully it will be accepted to. We're definitely playing in London in August uh, at the Rolling Film Festival. And uh, we'll hopefully be playing in Austin a couple more times. Uh, but after the film festival circuit's done sometime in the fall, we'll be posting it online and publicly for everyone to see. And I'm very excited for that. And I hope there's a few people listening who will watch it, who get that tingling feeling, uh, that I got in high school detention that made me want to tell stories. So that, that would be lovely. Well, why don't we do this? Um, you know, keep us in the loop and, uh, maybe we can circle back and just do a, you know, quick follow up on, you know, your festival, uh, run and things like that and, and just give you know uh, have another chance to give people an opportunity to know when and where they can find the film so yeah just keep us in the loop yeah for sure 100 well it's been a great conversation we've really loved having you on the show and honestly it really is it really is a good film it, it's Thank it's you. i love the animation style um you know it really moved me I, I liked it a lot so i'm anxious for people to see it yeah same here Awesome. Thank you, guys. Yeah, and, uh, you know, let me know when we can get that coffee or beer. You got it, bud. Thank you for listening to the Filmmaker Mixer podcast, a podcast created and hosted by filmmakers Jeff Stolen and Andrew Lamping and produced by Jeff Weber. Our theme music was composed by a man who really does wear sunglasses at night, Stephen D. Bennett. Make sure to follow or subscribe on whatever platform you're listening to us on and stay tuned for future episodes.